Welcome to another edition of the A-List Podcast. This is A-Shrod Blakely with the co-host with the most, Kwani A. Lunas. What's up, girl? That might be the liveliest intro that you've ever done, but I'm doing well. You know, another week. We still here. Every week We're I'm going to say that. still here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As Tom Brady and our good friend Gronk would say, we ain't yeah. going nowhere. Nowhere. Right. Also, by the way, I hope Diddy's making some money off of Brady using that song every year because... He should be making something. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and then obviously, all many eyes are on the NFL and the Super Bowl with Mahomes and Brady and all that. Uh, the NBA world, their thoughts for the most part right now are on the, the late Kobe Bryant, who w- was killed in a plane accident a year ago today. And you know, Kwani, just uh, what are some of your your just your fondest memories of, of Kobe Bryant, the player? I mean, for me. I look back on his entire career and granted, I grew up on the East Coast. So you're taught and raised to kind of hate everything West, but you can't deny the skill, the beauty of his game. But also, honestly, what stood out to me even more than that, as much as I love basketball, is looking at his legacy afterwards, the way that he nurtured his daughters, especially watching the way he coached the Mamba Academy, what was formerly the Mamba Academy and those players and really pouring into the women's game as well and just showing that. Yes, he's one of the greatest male basketball players that we've ever seen, but he wanted to let the world know that women can play the sport as well. And I appreciate him for that, for helping to advance the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kobe, without question, a great ambassador, not only in terms of the, the women's game and the NBA, but also making expanding upon it being a global entity with, with some of the things he did overseas. But but for me, it was, you know, to be candid with you, there was a part of me at one point that absolutely hated Kobe Bryant to death. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was 100 percent personal. And I, I will tell you the story. When the Lakers were playing the Detroit Pistons in the NBA mm-hmm. finals back in 2004, My son was in kindergarten and Mm -hmm. I needed to get back to Michigan to be at his kindergarten graduation. And the only glitch that would have made it difficult was if the Lakers Pistons game went into overtime. And don't Mm -hmm. you know it? Damn it, Kobe Bryant sent that game to overtime and I had to rush to get to the airport, had to beg and plead and basically guilt trip the hell out of the folks at the gate because the door was closed. I was not supposed to get on that plane. They finally relented when I told them that there would be this seven-year-old boy that would hate them for life because he, his dad was not going to be there for his first ever graduation. And they let me on. I got there, but it took a minute for me to, it took a while before I could be cool with Kobe because damn it, he almost cost me a trip to seeing my son graduate from kindergarten for the first time. That, so for me, it was personal. Basketball-wise, right. one of the all-time greats. Uh, one of the all-time great competitors. One of his good friends was Rip Hamilton, who played for the Detroit Pistons. They grew up together, uh, were roommates during all-star camps, things like that. And, and, you know, when he passed away, Rip was one of the first people I reached out to. And Rip was like many of us. He was just devastated by that news. And for him, like a lot of us, it just didn't seem real. Uh, At first, it seemed a kind of bad dream that this was, you know, Mm -hmm. that any moment now we're going to see Kobe Bryant emerge from wherever. And this will be all just just something that was concocted that never happened. And and unfortunately, that never was to be. Uh, Kobe Bryant will be remembered as one of not only one of the great basketball players, but also one of the great icons. And fortunately for us uh, this week, our, our guest is Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated senior writer who actually spent seven years covering Kobe Bryant back in Los Angeles. And he'll talk about that and also 
other NBA centric issues. And with that, here's our interview with Howard Beck. Howard Beck, welcome to the A-List podcast, my friend. Glad that you could finally make it here. How you doing? I'm doing well. Glad I could finally make it. Thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. The wait was definitely worth it. I want to just jump into Celtics uh, talk. And, and really, the, the news right now is just Jason Tatum has returned from you know the COVID protocol and just he, he seemed to not miss a beat once he got back on the floor. Are, are you surprised at how quickly you know guys like Tatum just really kind of just get back into the fray of things so quickly? You know, it's funny. If this were... Any normal year. I don't remember what normal years feel like anymore or when they <laughs> happened, but uh, I seem to recall somewhere in the deep recesses of my brain that we once had times that we called normal. If a guy was out for a couple of weeks, um, if he was ill, flu, something, there's usually a little bit of a hangover from that. You lose some conditioning along the way. But young guys, as Jason Tatum is, tend to be pretty resilient, bounce back pretty quickly. The thing, the reason I referenced the normal times uh, of our not so distant past is that I think with COVID, we just still really don't know what to anticipate when a guy comes back because we're still learning about this illness and it affects everyone differently. And I think recovery times and how quickly you get your your wind back and all this, I think is just different than with anything else. And it's going to be different from one player to the next. So um, certainly impressive that Tatum could come back as quickly as he did or snap back to what looked like pretty close to hundred percent. But, you know, are there going to be other effects in the days to come? Is he still, you know, was that an adrenaline kind of performance? And is there going to be more of a still needing to get his legs back under him as we go? Will he have some ups and downs in the days to come here? Those are the things we don't know. Mm-hmm. Howard, you mentioned the effects of COVID-19. We don't know what physical effects they'll have on the players themselves, but early on in the season, we saw that Boston was the team that had to, like so many players out due to the health and safety protocol. But now we're noticing that other teams are starting to be affected. So looking at the landscape right now, do you foresee or think that the NBA is going to have a little more work to do when it comes to managing the pandemic? Everyone has more work to do, right? I mean, uh, yeah. the, the whole the whole country for sure. Look, I, I think the NBA has done its best to try to set out um, – a set of protocols and rules that are a balance between uh, freedoms that you necessarily want for players and teams, but also with safety built in. And that's a really hard thing to to calibrate, right? And we've seen some of the after effects. We've seen some of the difficulties the NBA has dealt with, with you know teams losing guys, not just to the illness itself, but just to contact tracing. You know, the Wizards were out for a couple of weeks. The entire Wizards roster could not play. The, the, you know, the, the team was just on ice because they just didn't have enough bodies. And you know that's something that, on the one hand, it looks really bad. But if you look at the glass half full version of this, it's because the NBA is being very responsible and very cautious. When all those guys, you know, some of them did have the virus, yes, but many of them it was it was for contact tracing. And a lot of games that have been canceled or excuse me postponed so far have been due to contact tracing. And so, you know, that's the NBA erring on the side of caution. That's not, there's not, not enough healthy guys. That's no, 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 We just don't want to take any chances that this thing spreads further. So they're doing the right thing. But, you know, 
there's always some improvements, I guess, that can be made and clamping down further on guys' movements on the road and even in their home markets and trying to limit how much uh, time they spend away from home. That's, you know, that's the next step to take that the NBA has taken, but it's hard to enforce. And it's, it's a hard thing even to impose because everybody wants to return to normalcy, which is, of course, why our country is in the position it's in in the first place. Too many people rushed to return to normalcy when this virus wasn't anywhere near under control. And so uh, it's difficult. I know people talk about, well, should the NBA then pause the season? Pause for what? You know, you could take a two-week pause or longer, but it's the conditions around the NBA that are the issue, not the NBA itself. And if the conditions on the ground are still pretty dire as they are across the country, I don't know that a pause does anything for you because you come back in a couple of weeks, you've lost that many more games and the pandemic is still around you. So I, I just don't see where it gets them. Well, the, the one thing that I, I think is kind of lost in the conversation is how spoiled NBA fans were by the bubble. When yeah. everything seemed to go exactly how the league wanted to do, there weren't any positive tests. They didn't have to make any significant changes to the schedule. It was about as close to a perfect game, if you will, uh, to, to mix a ba baseball metaphor, as you could possibly have. And now when all those teams are now kind of left to their own devices in their own markets, uh, to your point, Howard, there are external factors that they literally have no control over that they were able to manage and, 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 and just keep under wraps, so to speak, when they were in a bubble. And to be candid with you, I'm surprised that we don't have more players who are testing positive and we don't have more games that have to be postponed because again, this pandemic is not going anywhere right now. It is in fact, in many respects from the time that guys were in a bubble to where we are now, it's actually grown. And yet the numbers, while yes, they have grown in terms of, you know, positive tests and, and contact tracing and things of that nature, it hasn't been nearly as out of control as I anticipated it would be. And, and the NBA certainly, they, they want to do better than they are. And I get that. But big picture, they're doing okay. Yeah, I, I think big picture, they've done pretty well. Um, you can you can look at all the postponed games and say, well, that's, that's where the failure is. And okay, Sure. If you want to make it as a, as a scoreboard kind of uh, exercise, sure. Postponed games are inconvenient. It's it's problematic. They got to figure out how to slot those back in in the second half of the season. Will they even be able to pull that off if they keep having to postpone games at this rate? But this is you know largely out of the NBA's control, right? Like unless you're going to create another bubble. And I said this at the time, and I felt bad about saying it. Um, and it, it's kind of a strange statement, but the bubble was the easy part, and that's not to diminish. The efforts it took, the planning it took, the extreme measures it took to create the bubble. But it was the easy part in the sense that once you created it, there was almost zero chance of the virus uh, infiltrating. It wasn't going to, to catch within players or coaches or anybody else as long as everybody stayed in the bubble, as long as you limited who came into it from the outside. They did it perfectly, but it was the easy part in the sense that you basically created a hermetically sealed environment. And it's once you're out in the rest of the world where the, in, the, the virus is raging that you have now left a lot to chance and to human nature because we can tell everybody, even ourselves, hey, stay home, don't go out, always wear a mask, don't go to dinner parties, don't, you know, don't do anything. Um, that's what I've been doing for 10 months. It, it <laughs> blows. It's hard. Like, so anybody who strays from that, you know, it, it's hard to be too judgmental. Like we all get it. We're all struggling with this and have been for a while. And, you know, depending on the part of the country you're in, or even just the city you're in, 
we can see, you know, varying degrees of, of people taking all the right measures and keeping the percentage of inf you know, the infection rate down in other places where, you know, where it's just on fire. And so, again, not an NBA issue. It's just a societal issue. Hmm. Well, on a slightly lighter note, I guess, if you want to call it that, <laughs> Jalen Brown. <laughs> Brown of the Boston Celtics has obviously had to step up with the absence of Jason Tatum. We saw him drop 33 points in 19 minutes in the last few games. So looking, I mean, Magic Johnson tweeted that Jalen Brown should now be considered in that MVP debate for this season. What do you two think about that? Go first, Howard. <laughs> yes, first. MVP discussion, he said? Yeah, and, and, and Bill Russell was tweeting out about how great he is. Everybody's starting to yeah. notice Jalen, so. Magic, what do you think? <laughs> Magic is known for his over-exuberance at times on Twitter. We should. Absolutely. Man. Right, right. Nah. <laughs> we should just what are you talking put note that one. I mean, look, he's still putting um, it out as a statement, so we had to embed it. <laughs> absolutely. Um, look, uh, we are, what, you know, 15 games into the season. There's there's a ways to go here yet. And look, the, you know, MVP discussion is is always premature at this stage, but okay. Um if the Celtics are going to have an MVP candidate, can we all agree it's more likely to be Tatum ultimately? Because if it's not, I mean, look, there there may well be a, a equal division of scoring load and and responsibility with these two because Brown, you know, Jalen's making those steps that he can he can take on that load. But you know, we'll see this with the Clippers too. Like, is this about Kawhi? Is it about Paul George? Is it about both of them? You know, it's a little bit easier discussion when it's LeBron Anthony Davis kind of configuration because. As great as Anthony Davis is, you look at LeBron and say, no, 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 no. This team is defined by LeBron. This is not a power sharing arrangement. He's the engine. He's the conscience. He's the playmaker. He makes it all go, and Anthony Davis benefits from it. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, that's going to be a little bit harder to parse out, just as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is, and we've seen other pairings like that over the years. Um, you know, look, the Nets have you know now three – probable well at least two of them future hall of famers and two you know three stars altogether all well, i don't know where the nets are going to finish but it's going to be really hard to parse out well who's the most important person there i'm going to say it's kevin durant but um it, it when you the more talent you pack onto a team the harder it gets to identify a single guy who is the mvp uh the years that i covered Shaq and kobe together you know Shaq got obviously one mvp uh one year in 99 2000 Kobe didn't even show up on MVP ballots for several of those years. And when he did, it was pretty low because, you know, as great as he was and was worthy of that kind of acclaim, he just was never going to get that same amount of credit because he was with Shaq. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. But Jalen Brown, MVP discussion to the side, All-NBA, uh, All-Star, some other awards or honors along the way seem pretty likely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think I agree with Howard that Jalen Brown for MVP, I'm not quite ready to put that bumper sticker on my vehicle just yet. Uh, but it's it's interesting to talk about it here as we hit basically the, you know, almost the first quarter mark of the season. He's having a phenomenal season. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I, I still think that at the end of the day, this team is only going to go as far as they can go if Jason Tatum is leading that charge. What Jalen is doing is phenomenal. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, he is leading, you know, the league 
league in a number of, of key critical categories, you know, you know, points in, in transition and, and him and Tatum both rank in the top five, top six in points off of turnovers, which is great. He's finding ways to get his offense going in a multitude of ways, shooting a career high from the free throw line. You can go down a list of things that he is doing that have been impressive. But at the end of the day, this is still a team that is going to be led by Jason Tatum. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And, and I think you, looking at what the Celtics were able to do in Tatum's absence, I think is impressive, certainly for Jalen Brown's candidacy for being, you know, all this, that and the other. But I think Brown understands that at the big picture has him being an elite number two guy, that other guy. Uh, so it's great to talk about. And I, I love when we have these conversations, but the reality, huh? at some point, reality has to set in, you know, the earth is round. You know, the, the Lakers are, are really good. And Tatum is still the face of this franchise. Absolutely. You're allowed to acknowledge the Lakers on this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Today, I mean, we will acknowledge the Lakers. We and we're going to talk and how we're going to actually get into that a little bit later. Why today specifically we give the Lakers we, we pay homage to the Lakers and, and, and one of their all-time greats. Uh, but before we get into all that, uh, I want to make sure that we give a shout-out to our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. We're finally at the game we've all been waiting for, the Super Bowl. You've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Mr. I-can-win-anywhere, anytime, anyplace, Tom Brady leading the Buccaneers at home, which is the first for, for NFL Super Bowls, against the defending champs, Kansas City Chiefs, led by... Mr. Patrick Mahomes, and that awesome fantasy league tight end of his, Mr. Travis Kelch. Uh, there is only one place that's got you covered when it comes to online betting, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account, and don't forget to use the promo code CLNS50, CLNS50. Don't forget to do that. Uh, and, and just in case you wanted some stats about betting, who to bet on as far as the Buccaneers or the Chiefs? Let's put it this way. Tampa Bay is 6-2 and two against the spread this year. The last eight games. Kansas City, 1-4-1. Now, that might lead you to put some money on KC, or excuse me, on Tampa Bay. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I just think Patrick Mahomes, he's that damn good. That damn good. Uh, and if I got to put money on one of the two, I'm going to, I'm going against father time. I was I'm going to say, you're against Brady. I'm mm. going against, I'm going with new age and not against, and, and not with Tom Brady. Uh, and I, I, hopefully I'll wind up doing better than Belichick did when he made that decision. So well, that's a conversation for another time. Let's pivot back to Brooklyn. Now we're going to go to Brooklyn <laughs> to talk about <laughs> James Harden. Howard, you've been writing about and reporting about him extensively in the last few months. What have you seen out of him in Brooklyn? Well, I mean, it's, it's wild. So the last couple times I wrote about Harden, uh, and, and in particular before the trade, the question I asked was, is James Harden, wherever he ends up, going to be willing to take on a different role? Is he willing to evolve? Is he willing to do less? And I think the answer so far is a resounding yes. He's doing a lot less, at least when it comes to shooting and scoring for the Brooklyn Nets. He is, uh, and the, the other question was going to be, who's who's the primary ball handler here between him and Kyrie? Well, we've seen the these things fall into place at least so far through the first six games together. Harden is the primary ball handler. He is essentially the point guard. Kyrie Irving is essentially a shooting guard now and much more of, of the scorer. 
Harden is, is taking, you know, a lot fewer shots than he ever has uh, in his career and certainly fewer than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it's a ways to go yet. This is still a feeling out period. And James Harden, by the way, still getting back in, into real shape. So I wouldn't assume that what we've seen through six games is definitive and permanent. This is not necessarily going to be the state of the Nets for the rest of the season or the rest of the time that the, these three are together. But so far what we're seeing, what we're seeing is that James Harden absolutely willing and seemingly comfortable playing more of the facilitator role, even though he's one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen in this game. And one of the, you know, I mean, the guy's on a, a streak of three straight scoring titles. Um, that streak is, is probably going to end if, if things keep going the way they're going uh, for him. But maybe he's turned the corner on that at age 31. Maybe he is ready to say, listen, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the stats or the individual glory. I forced a trade because I wanted to do something greater. I want to win titles. And if that means feeding Kevin Durant, feeding Kyrie Irving, picking my spots more, then that's what I'm going to do. I don't know if that's actually the thought process right now, but that's what he seems to be telegraphing so far. Yeah, he's been way better than I thought he would be. And, and you know, remember, James Harden has always been a relatively high assist guy, even in, in Houston with all the points he scored. So I'm not as surprised uh, that that he's doing that. I, the, this, the shot taking has been surprising. I, I thought he would really struggle with just resisting that temptation to take, you know, a, a ton of shots, which we know he's he's more than capable of doing and has shown the ability to do at a high level. Uh, but to rendering that scoring title, it's probably going to render it to his teammate, Kevin Durant, who has been ridiculously efficient this year, shooting better than 51% from the field, better than 41% from three-point range. You know, he's always been a, a relatively good free throw shooter in the mid to high 80s. Uh, so I'm just been pleasantly surprised at how they haven't, it doesn't look forced. It looks very seamless how he's, he's kind of ingratiated himself. And, you know, to me, the, you know, the, the, the fly in the ointment or on the head of the vice president, uh, whichever way you want to call it, Kyrie Irving, him fitting in, it's been interesting. Uh, it, it's, it's had its moments where it's looked really good. And it's had moments where I'm like, now remember why some people like to refer you as Kyrie. Uh, I'm still, the jury is still out on me on how the three of them can function. But to be candid with you, if they if Kyrie Irving was not in the mix, I would have no yeah. problem saying that Brooklyn Nets team is the runaway favorite to come out of the East. But Kyrie, to me, it's a feast or famine type thing. They're either going to be that and then some, or they're going to suffer a significant setback when they least expect it, in part because of his presence and just his decision making and frankly him reverting back to Kyrie, the, the guy the guy that we saw at the tail end of his time in Boston. Yeah, listen, I think any of you who were around that team, Celtics fans, Celtics media, Celtics officials, anybody within the greater New England region, uh, probably pretty scarred by that experience to the point where it's going to be hard to, uh, you know, be generous with the idea that Kyrie Irving could still himself evolve, right? We're seeing James Harden potentially evolve. Can Kyrie Irving be a better version of himself with this Nets team? Uh, you know, look, I, I think it's possible. I, I think that, uh, you know, Kyrie, we know there's a, there's a lot of things we can discuss about Kyrie. And I know that a lot of these things are viewed through a jaded lens, but he is a reflective person. You may not like how he reflects. You may not like the way he expresses himself. You may think that um, the times that he sounds like he's being really reflective and then, you know, you're expecting him to kind of turn around and then do the opposite the next day. I, I get that. If anybody views him that way, I understand it. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. I would just say 
the uh, demeanor that he returned with after being away from the team for a couple of weeks, the interviews he's done so far, strikes me as, as somebody who is very comfortable with, with things are, where things are right now. And on the court seems okay with where things are as well. And look, he already has a championship. Right. Kevin Durant's got two championships. James Harden is the one who probably has to sacrifice the most because he's the one who, who needs to make the trade off the most because he hasn't won. But True. that said, Kyrie's also at a time in his career, late twenties, where, you know, how much does he need to feed his own ego or his own desire for, for individual glory? I think that that like the other guys in this team, they're all in you know mid to later career where you start to recalibrate a little bit. Um, I'm not going to assume anything. I, I I try to be very non-judgmental with these things. You know, any anybody is capable at any time in their career of of turning the corner, of doing things a little bit differently, of surprising us. Like, and if 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 these guys could never surprise us, players and teams could never surprise us, then why would we watch, right? So uh, I don't want to pigeonhole him any more than than anyone else. Uh, I think it can work. I've been skeptical about it working only because the, the the pure volume of offense that these three guys individually have consumed in the course of their careers, it makes it look or seem on paper to be a difficult uh, arrangement. And they gave up a lot of defense and depth in the process of acquiring Harden. So I'm still a little skeptical because I think the overall roster has some functional issues. But I actually think it can work as well. Like, I'm not going to be surprised if we wake up in, I think, what, July is the finals this year? It's like, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we wake up in July and the Nets are in the finals, I'm not going to be surprised. If they lose in the second round, I'm not going to be surprised either. Hmm. This is why we bring in a national guy for the the neutral perspective. Exactly. Boston yeah. media, definitely. <laughs> they hate him. Still recovering. <laughs> I love them, but they hate him. Anyway. Yeah. Jersey, you know, we, we say Jersey every single time we have this podcast. So it's time to play some games, guys. We're going to play some games. Fill in the lane is Sherrod's new game that we tried out last week. And basically, Howard, you fill in the blanks and let us know what you think. So All right. in the best of seven series between Boston and Brooklyn, blank will come out on top because of what? Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, no pressure. No pressure. None. <laughs> I'm, just know I'm, I'm, all the Celtics fans are listening. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just curious. Like, do I get paid extra for pandering to the home audience? Or? The Celtics will write you a check. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> um, man, I, I I could go round and round on this one because right. if you ask me who I was more confident would be uh, poised under pressure if this goes to a game seven or there's a critical overtime in a game five between these two teams. Kevin Durant has been there, done that, seen it all, and can get off any shot, anytime, anywhere against any defender. And that's hard to replicate. And Kyrie Irving, for all of his faults that you guys are are maybe (laughs) aware of, um, hit one of the biggest shots in NBA Finals history. Now, James Harden's postseason record is a little less distinguished. Yeah, but now he's with a team that can help him. <laughs> I love exactly. how you refer to it as less distinguished. Right, that was so kind. I'm, gonna, I'm absolutely stealing that, Howard. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm a middle child. I'm forever the diplomat. Um, <laughs> I I just think that when you have two guys in Durant and Kyrie, and Durant in particular, you uh, there's no doubt about what those guys' ability to perform in the tightest, toughest, most dramatic moments. And so that matters. The Celtics on balance are still a little bit younger and less experienced at that level. So there's that. Um, defensively, 
I think the Celtics probably have the advantage off the top in large part because Jason and Jalen both can defend multiple positions and are and are committed and actually interested in that side of the game. And you've got Marcus Smart. So your the perimeter D across those three, I, I think is is really enviable. The Nets don't have that. Kevin Durant at his best is an elite defender or has been. Can he do that at this level still post Achilles? Can he do that over the course of the rest of this season and through the playoffs? We'll see. Kyrie Irving and James Harden, a little less distinguished at that side of the court. Um, <laughs> <It's a little. laughs> so I, I, you know, that they, they gave up Jared Allen in that deal for Harden. They gave up Karis LeVert. So they lost some really important defenders. They lost a lot of depth. I'm curious to see what Sean Marks does, uh, whether it's before the trade deadline or maybe in the buyout market, what else he can unearth to kind of backfill the roster because they have literal and figurative gaps in that rotation. And so I have less confidence in them overall. So I'm going to lean Celtics at this stage because of defense and because of just more of the continuity that they've had. Wow. Wow. I, Wait, but how with that being you... said, what gaps would you fill in for Boston? Ooh. Um, like the Nets, they could certainly use, you know, someone to shore up the center spot. Although, you know, between, you know, Thompson and Tice, I mean, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll patch it up okay. Um, I'm, you know, I think we don't know really how concerned yet to be about Kemba in the long term, right? Like that knee injury has been going on a long time. He's back now. You know, how is, is he going to be fine for the duration? How much, how often is that going to flare up? How often is it going to limit him? How confident are you in Jeff Teague? So, you know, those are the, those are the spots. It's funny, like with both teams, the places where you're really not concerned at all is, is, you know, at the swing positions. That's, that's where you're feeling like both teams really have that strength and that versatility. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with, with pretty much everything Howard said. The, the big thing about the Nets is, and, and you touched on this, Howard, is their defense, man. It's horrible. Um, and it's, I just don't see how they're going to significantly upgrade that in, in the short term. And I think in a best of seven series, you know, offense is going to take you far in the playoffs, but at the end of the day, you got to get stops. Uh, and I worry about that with, with Brooklyn, because I think they've got more than enough firepower to, to be anyone and everyone in the NBA. But I think the fact that the Celtics have I guess the best way to describe it, a better distinguished group on the defensive end of the floor, particularly at the wing positions, they have the ability to impact the game at both ends of the floor. You know, when you look at the stats, like like something like, you know, second chance points, for example, and you start looking at the players who are on the floor who give up a lot of those, three of the top four or five players in the NBA and most second chance points given up play for the Brooklyn Nets. And we don't have to go far to figure out who those three guys are. So statistically speaking, their defense doesn't really cut it. And the fact that they lost the one, I think, decent rim protector they had, you know, they had to trade him away. I, I'm And they don't, and you, and they're arguably their best perimeter defender there's a lot of concerns about what this team is going to do in crunch time from the defensive standpoint. If, and that to me more than anything else is why I, in a best of seven series, uh, I, I got to lean a little bit towards the Celtics because of the defensive dynamic. Yeah. I will say this though. I did lean Celtics. The case for the nets is they're unguardable. Mm -hmm. And if those three are in perfect sync with each other, oh, it's just absolutely wreck your defense mm -hmm. because you can't give 
any of those three guys any room whatsoever to operate or they're going to score on you. And all three of them are just just killer scorers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Harden, without as much of a burden on him, he probably will perform a lot better in, in this postseason with the Nets than he had in the years with the Rockets where maybe he didn't feel like, like he couldn't take a single playoff. You know, he, he can now... He, you know, he can he can just sit there lying in the weeds waiting to strike now. So like mm-hmm. they're incredibly dangerous. But yeah, at some point, if you're just gonna get in a shootout, okay, well, then the first team to make a stop wins. Can the Nets make that critical stop? Yeah. And and, and Howard, you touched on this a little bit earlier about just your, your time covering Shaq and, and Kobe. And and today, the one year uh, anniversary of, of Kobe's passing, um, him and his daughter. Just quickly, you know, what are some of your your just when you think about Kobe and then the time you spent around him behind that organization? What are some of the memories that that immediately come to mind for you? I mean, there are a lot. It was seven years that I covered him and covered that team, ninety seven to two thousand four. So starting Kobe's second season when he was nineteen years old and and through the three championships and then you know obviously the the big breakup in two thousand four uh, when they traded Shaq to Miami. That was my last season covering that team. Um, I've always summed up Kobe something like this, which is that I've never met anyone in any walk of life who is as singularly focused, dedicated, committed, just thoroughly invested mind, body, and soul in, in their craft. And I don't care if it's doctors, lawyers, accountants, writers, whoever, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who is as fully invested in what they were doing and in being the greatest at it as Kobe Bryant. So everything that you ever hear, all the stuff that sounds like almost like the mythology of Kobe about his work ethic and his drive and the 2 a.m. workouts and all that, it's all true. And, you know, the reason that people admire Kobe so much, and I had a story on SI.com today about the imprint that Kobe's left on the league and the fact that you can find, you know, some of Kobe's best traits still among today's players, uh, whether it's that big moment, big shot mentality that you see in Damian Lillard, whether it's uh, the, the, uh, just the, the killer work ethic that you see in like Jimmy Butler. There are other guys who emulate a lot of what made Kobe great. I don't know if any of them have everything that made him great, but so many guys in this league, as I wrote today, looked up to him, admired him, sought him out for counsel, were mentored by him, uh, or idolized him as kids. And it's not just because of the five rings, you know, sure that, that helps certifying yourself as a champion does, uh, you know, put you in a different level of standing, but it's, it's the fact that Kobe just had this sheer audacity about him. Like those, those shots that you think he shouldn't have taken Kobe practiced those Kobe worked at him. Kobe busted his butt and he studied the game film to see that, oh, the defenders are going to guard me this way. This team's going to take this uh, angle against me. I'm going to go here instead. And if he splits a double team or a triple team or takes some impossible shot, guaranteed he prepared for that. Guaranteed it's something that he's practiced. Guaranteed it's something that he believed he could make and probably has made. It might have even made it in that moment. And you might have still been cringing because it was the wrong choice basketball-wise. But there was just an, an audacity and this soaring confidence in Kobe that I just think was infectious and that whether you loved or hated him, you could m- admire that in him. And, oh. and I, I think that's, that's the, uh, the lasting impression. Yeah, well, we, we certainly see the, the 
impact of Kobe right here in Boston and Jason Tatum, who grew up a huge Kobe Bryant fan. His dad, actually, you know, him and I talked uh, earlier pre-pandemic uh, about just that that infatuation his son had with Kobe. And his dad played with Larry Hughes, who was in Cleveland at the time, and, and they arranged for Tatum to sit to have some time with Kobe and that is you know a picture that you know Tatum had in a bedroom forever in a day and if you probably you know if you did a if you did a scan of his room right now you'd probably still find that picture there right. uh, and when you look at a lot of the things that he does there is a very Kobe-esque feel about them without question but Howard that, that makes me think about uh the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers and just Kobe's place in that rivalry. Someone that, you know, every now and then you'll see a picture on the internet where he's in a Celtics uh, jersey before yeah. he was drafted, where he just happened to be in, in, in town and things like that. What did that rivalry from your perspective mean to, to Kobe Bryant, that Celtics-Lakers rivalry? Yeah, I mean, it meant a ton, obviously, because Kobe wasn't just one of the all-time greats and certainly one of the all-time great Lakers, maybe the greatest Laker, depending on who's creating that list. But he was a student of the game and a student of history. And he could tell you, and I remember actually him telling me about, you know, the great ball handlers and everything and talking about Bob Cousy and like Kobe could draw from any era any players, any reference. I don't know where he got all this film, but he seemed to have like I think like he must have had like his own uh, direct line to like Secaucus and NBA Entertainment or something, you know, <laughs> like a personal account. I felt like he had watched all of NBA history because he did. He would make those references and he knew all of that. And and besides that, he as a kid growing up, he was a big Magic Johnson guy and a big Laker fan, and so of course he had great and and deep appreciation for that Lakers Celtics rivalry. And, you know, obviously he'd already won three championships and been to four finals long before the Lakers and Celtics met in 2008. So for him to finally get back to that moment, to have that opportunity again and have it be Lakers Celtics and to get to write his own chapter in that was just huge. And I am certain, and I'm sure there were quotes back at the time, that losing that <laughs> was probably as devastating as any of his NBA setbacks. And then winning a couple of years later to avenge that, again, one of his all-time great achievements. I mean, I, I don't know that, that Kobe ever ranked his championships. I'm sure somebody over the years must have asked him to. Uh, and I, I'd be curious to know. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head where you know 2010 ranks, but uh, it's got to be right up there. He, he, he loved the rivalry. He loved the history of the game. And he certainly relished those chances to go up against the big three. Yeah. Well, Howard, we are running out of time. But before we leave, I wanted to just give you the opportunity to just let, let the folks know anything you've got coming down the pipeline writing-wise. You, you mentioned the Kobe story that is on SI.com now. Uh, you've got anything else to, 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 to let the folks know about your podcast, perhaps? Yeah, so story on SI.com right now that is about the imprint that Kobe left on the league, the guys who still kind of carry on the best of Kobe. You can find that on SI.com today. It's our daily cover and a uh, new edition of the crossover pod with uh, myself and your friend, Chris Mannix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we will be taping, I believe tomorrow, Wednesday and should post uh, later that afternoon. Awesome. Where can I find you on the social medias? Uh, very simply at Howard Beck on Twitter. Uh, no, no underscores, no fancy punctuation or anything. Just the one Howard Beck. Yes. He secured it, it nice early. Simple. 
Nice yes. and simple. That's what we like. Uh, well, Howard Beck, senior writer at SI, Sports Illustrated. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. You are always invited to the A-List podcast, my friend, anytime, anytime. It's the only A-List I've ever made, so thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's our pleasure. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much, Howard. Thanks, guys. Well, 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 Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated senior writer. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Uh, I particularly like the references to some aspects of the Brooklyn defense as being less distinguished. No, I was going to attribute I, it to his journalism degree, but then I realized attribute that. Attribute to whose journalism degree? His, not yours. <laughs> Different. I was going to say, shoot, I went to Syracuse. Don't you know? You better it's recognize they're different. They're still different. <laughs> lots of good stuff, though. Lots of good stuff. What, what jumped out at you, Kwani, about what Howard's talking about? Well, I, for one, I love the neutrality when it came to the Brooklyn talk and, and just saying that we don't know exactly what will happen with Kyrie. It's, you know, it's based on what he feels like doing this season. Obviously, the Celtics and Nets, that's a big matchup that I would love to see in an Eastern Conference final. So for the fact that he did think it was, it could be a toss-up is very promising for both sides, really. I, I think Jalen Brown and, and Tatum have really made that conversation legitimate one because on paper, Absolutely. you would think that it's an absolutely lopsided uh, matchup. Right. But when you look at the way Tatum is playing, you look at the way Jalen is playing, you're getting Kimba slowly but surely back to health. Uh, the, the Celtics have some serious firepower, and they, by and large, are a better team defensively. And I think in a best-of-seven series, I think that defense is going to be the difference. Brooklyn has to do something to address that side of the floor between now and the playoffs if they're going to really solidify themselves as a team that can not just get to the finals but actually win it all. Because if yeah. they don't win it all, this whole thing is a – I, I right. don't want to hear anything about them getting deep into the playoffs would be a good season. No, you don't add three of the top 10, top 15 players, give up all the assets that they have, and be okay with getting to the conference finals. Because, hell, you could have done that right. without James Harden. You Absolutely. need to win it all. They need to, to tip the scale as much as they can in their favor. And for them to do that, they got to go out and get someone who can actually defend. Yeah, there's no reason why we're in the regular season and they're playing a double overtime game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's just unacceptable for the, the cat cadavers, as you call them. Exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. But shout no, out to Colin no. Sexton because he was not having it shooting in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good game, I will say. <laughs> it was a good game. I'm mad that I didn't have him in my fantasy league squad, but you know what? It is what it is. It happens. Uh, it it is. Shot, speaking and of fantasy, mm -hmm. bet online AG. Well, Bring that's it. not really fantasy, but they're betting, you know. Shout out to them. They're keeping us on the air. Give them a shout out. Give them a login. Go to betonline.ag and use the code CLNS50 for a 50% welcome bonus. I keep saying that I'm going to do it, but I haven't yet. I'm thinking I wait for a Super Bowl Sunday and sign up with that code so I can get 50% off. And then I'm bet on Tom Brady. And then I'll just quit the podcast because I'll be rich. And well, you know works? what? We'll, we'll, we'll both <laughs> bet on that one because I'm going with Kansas City. So one of us yeah. is going to win. Oh, okay. I'm going to actually do it. That, this is going to be perfect. Yes. One of us is going to win. Good. And then the other, we, we we probably need to have a side bet too. We uh, should. We, we should do a podcast bet. We, we'll have a side bet. I'm not bet. a betting we'll, woman though. I'm not a betting woman. This is just for we, show. That's about to change though. We're about to change that. <laughs> we're, about, we're about to bring you to the dark side. Bring you to the dark oh, side. Oh, gosh. 
I hope no, my mom's not listening. Uh, <laughs> I'll be all right. She she all right. Yeah, she it'll be good. When I win the money, it'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. And listening to this podcast means you winning. Uh your your yeah. earbuds are definitely winning. Uh again, uh check us out all your podcasting apps, Spotify, Twitch, all those good stuff. Um the A-list podcast with myself, Sherrod Blakely, and Kwani Lunis. Absolutely. <laughs> we will we'll be back uh, next week with more good stuff on the A-list podcast. We are out. Mm-hmm.